Hey everyone, and welcome to Sincerely Letty. I'm your host, Letty Shoemate, here to bring you truth and knowledge about history, social issues, and more to help you connect the dots and see the bigger picture that is so necessary in our society today. Welcome back for another episode. I would usually already have recorded this episode, but it's currently Wednesday, April the 29th. So I am going to be sending this out as soon as I'm done recording. Um, I don't know about any of you that are listening, but you know, social distancing, COVID-19, it's end of the semester for me because I am finishing up my second master's degree, which is in conflict management and resolution. So I had a paper to do last night and, you know, it's just been a lot. So uh, just going to be vulnerable with y'all right now and honest. I am not on it this week whenever it comes to the whole having everything ready and ahead of time and all of that. So good news is you're still listening to this now. So (laughs) let's go ahead and just get right into this week's episode. But actually, before I get into this week's episode, I do want to say again that I hope everyone is safe. I hope everyone is doing well. There is so much going on in our country right now, y'all. I mean, it is a mess. I mean, you have people out here that are protesting about staying safe. And for me, a lot of these protesters who are protesting staying at home because they want to get their hair cut and they want to be able to do whatever they want to do. It's steeped in so much white privilege. And also the message that it's sending is that they don't give a damn about the lives of black people because you want to know what the news has continuously told us and the news meaning um, credible sources and people who know what the hell they're talking about. But uh, like, you know, doctors and scientists and they continuously told us that black people are the ones we are more we're just affected more and we're dying at higher rates and yet there are still people who are like oh no i just want to get my hair cut and that is so selfish there is such a lack of empathy and to me this is nothing new for america and i feel like a lot of people have been shocked and i'm like i'm not shocked at all these people are protesting staying at home to for the betterment of everyone. And it's no different to me than whenever people are screaming and yelling and cussing out black people who are protesting whenever a black person gets shot and killed. So to me, um, this is very American. And... Um, I actually, on Instagram, um, on my Sincerely.Letty account, I posted an image last week of um, Colin Kaepernick kneeling and a white person beside him holding a sign and protesting. It was a drawing. I forget exactly who it was by. I hate that I don't remember right off the top of my head, but it is on my Instagram. I did um, give credit to the artist of the image but it's like you know cap was seen as anti-american still to many seen as anti-american but then you have this person over here who's protesting and all these things and they're seen as a patriot and so to me that isn't around like right because it's never been about 
the right to protest. It was also it was always the fact that Kaepernick was black, and he was kneeling um, for police brutality and injustices committed um, or injustices that black people um, experience in this country. And white America was angry because he was protesting against white supremacy. So anyway, I'm not going to get too far into that. But y'all, I just have had all the thoughts. All the thoughts. Okay. I don't know if you've had all the thoughts. I don't know. And I'm not saying that what's happening in the country right now is not affecting people financially. No, it absolutely is. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'm very well aware of that. And that's why I'm like, what people should be protesting it's capitalism and the bullshit that keeps the system this way. And people should be protesting the fact that they have to protest to get more money. It's like, okay, well, we're not the bad guys. Who? Anyway, y'all. Anyway. Moving on. <laughs> but before I move on, I'm going to say I hope everyone is safe. I truly do mean that. Last night, I was awake at 1 a.m., and I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across an article about a black man named Ahmad Arbery, and I read the article, y'all, and the, literally the wind was knocked out of me because... Ahmad Arbery was shot and killed by two white men in Brunswick, Georgia at the end of February of this year and is just now getting media attention. I am a black woman that will always and consistently say Black Lives Matter. And the reason is, or there are many reasons. And one reason is because of black men like Ahmad he was exercising. He was just running through a neighborhood, social distancing, living, breathing. And because of the color of his skin, a white man said that he fit the description of a suspect who robbed a nearby home or whatever. And I say, or whatever, on purpose because I, I've read almost every article I can find about this case. I was up, yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if you've heard of him. But you need to. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened. Ahmad was running through a neighborhood whenever he was shot and killed by two white men. He was a former high school football player. He enjoyed running to stay fit. There's a picture of him. Um, maybe it's like a senior picture from high school, maybe. But he's a oh, very handsome black man. Uh, as he ran, this is this article that I'm reading is from The Grio. And it was um, written on April the 27th. And... Um, the article says the former high school football player enjoyed running to stay fit as he ran on a Sunday in February. Aubrey passed 64 year old Gregory McMichael in his yard. McMichael called out to his son, Travis, to bring their guns and they got into a truck and started to follow Aubrey. In a case reminiscent of the killing of Trayvon Martin by neighborhood watchman George Zimmerman, the McMichaels tried to detain Aubrey. 
During the confrontation, Aubrey was fatally shot twice. Neither of the McMi- neither of the McMichaels were charged or arrested in connection with the shooting, according to a report by the New York Times. The elder McMichael is a retired investigator in the district attorney's office. So far, prosecutors have said that they acted within the scope of Georgia's citizen's arrest statute. <sighs> to complicate the matters, because McMichael worked in the district attorney's office, George E. Barnhill, the Waycross County DA, chose to recuse himself from what would have been a conflict of interest. He chose to have the case transferred to a nearby county. Despite recusing himself from the case, Barnhill still wrote a letter to police that Aubrey had a criminal past including a conviction for shoplifting and probation violation in 2018, the Times reported. The case has garnered little national attention as it occurred during the coronavirus pandemic. Social distancing restrictions in the state has made it impossible for community leaders or Black Lives Matter activists to physically protest the shooting. A coach at Aubrey's alma mater, Brunswick High School explains that there are absolutely people ready to protest out of concern for safety supporters have been unable to. He was jogging in Satilla Shores about 15 minutes from downtown. When I read the part that said that the two white men got into their truck and rode after him, I immediately thought about historical accounts of white men who hunted black men and then lynched them. Because, see, what happened to Ahmaud Armory was a state-sanctioned lynching. And this is why, this is why we say Black Lives Matter. Because we we can't run. Black people, like, we, we can't run in a neighborhood. We can't exercise. We can't sit in our home and eat ice cream. We can't sit in our home and play video games with our nephew. We can't stand outside of a gas station, okay? We, we can't get our license and registration like the police officer asked us to during a traffic stop. We can't have, we, we can't ask for help while our car is broken down in the middle of the street without being gunned down. We can't walk down a sidewalk with a hoodie on holding Skittles. We can't stand in a park with a toy gun because we're innocent children without being shot and killed. We, we can't live. We can't breathe. There is a constant burden. And I read about Amon last night, and I still feel like the wind's been knocked out of me. Still, right now. It's like that. It's like a, it's, it's an ache. It's a, it's a hurt. It's a betrayal. It's a disappointment because this Georgia bullshit statute, like, oh, all right. So there are laws that are upholding the literal killing of black people and there's going to be no justice. Like this family, Ahmaud Arbery's family should not have to become activists to say their, to get their child's name heard. They're already going through enough. And, yeah, I just feel some kind of way right now. I really do. I just wanted to talk to y'all about that as part of this episode. Um, 
because, see, racial violence is nothing new to me. It's not. But the thing about it is just because it's not new doesn't mean it doesn't get easier to hear. It doesn't mean that I know how to handle it. It doesn't mean any of that. Because at the end of the day, this is the kind of racism that is pervasive. This is the kind of racism that runs our country. Because if you read that article, if I were to like take that article, copy and paste it onto like a Word document or something and put a different date on it, and let's say I put February the 23rd, 1920 on it, you'd be like, oh, this is more realistic. But see, people don't think this kind of stuff happens in 2020 America. And for the love of God, I don't know what it's going to take for white America to wake the hell up and to stop being, so many white people stop being so damn selfish. This is um, completely coming out, however it's going to come out right now on this episode. <laughs> um, because it just needs to. It And I, I want you all listening, even if you're not listening today, this Wednesday, if you're listening tomorrow, or the next week, or the next week, I want you to take time to read about Ahmaud Arbery, to read about the countless other black men, black women, and black children that have been killed, that have been murdered, that have been lynched in 21st century America, and in history, and in history, because it's everywhere. It's all, it's, it's just splattered all over the history of our country. And understand that this is why, or choose to understand, and this is why Black Lives Matter. In 1961, James Baldwin, who, if you all know me by now, know that he's my absolute favorite black intellectual male voice in history ever. Um, But during a panel discussion in 1961, James Baldwin said, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. So that the first problem is how to control that rage so that it won't destroy you. Part of the rage is this. It isn't only what is happening to you, but, but it's what's happening all around you all of the time. In the face of the most extraordinary and criminal indifference. The indifference and ignorance of most white people in this country. I mean, the first part of that where he says to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. Y'all, that is nothing further from the truth. Nothing further from the truth. But, you know, days like today, I am honestly so glad that I have the knowledge and the ability to lean on God. That's it. Um, Because uh, I know that God is a God of justice, and one day people have to answer to what they've done on earth, and 
I'm not going to get too deep into the um, spirituality and all of that right now. But what I am going to say is that there is an undeniable strength that black Americans in this country have to be able to withstand and to continue to move forward and to continue to fight and to continue to use our voices and to continue to do the work like black women like myself are doing and to do this in the face of white supremacy in the face of discrimination in the face of racism in the face of all that comes with being black in America and um yeah so that's where I am with this yeah I wanted to share that ball one quote with y'all um and if you have never read it or yeah just that's one of my favorite quotes by him anyway so yeah I this is where I am today and I wanted to also, as part of this episode, read part of Austin Channing Brown's book. So it's a book that I, I posted about it on my Instagram account. It's called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. And I felt like I was relating directly to Austin Channing Brown like I felt like she knew my life because all that she was saying in her book is what I have also experienced and felt this past weekend something happened on social media on Instagram particularly regarding a white woman who is a very well-known influencer and a lot of black women including myself went to bat because she basically quoted Maya Angelou without giving Maya Angelou credit and it was extremely problematic and I'm not even going to get into that on this episode but what I will say is um look up what happened with still I rise on social media on Instagram but it really made me realize and not even realize I'm sorry that's the wrong word it made me divert my attention to the importance of defending black womanhood and what that really means what it really means to um have black dignity and so I'm going to read just a part of chapter eight in Austin Channing Brown's book, Black, Dign- Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. It's a mouthful. <laughs> um, okay, so chapter eight is titled The Story We Tell. Not long ago, I was sitting in a diversity training for a new job. Our group slumped into folding chairs beneath the almost blue fluorescent lights. We were halfway through the three to three-day workshop, doing an activity that left the white women in our group rather emotional. Our facilitators tried to coax our group into discussion, but after giving them short and to-the-point answers, we descended into this kind of silence workshop facilitators hate. The silence that feels so warm and comfortable it could last forever. And then it came. Our collective silence was shattered by a trembling white female voice. I just can't believe it. This is so much to take in. I mean, I had no idea. This is just unbelievable. Why didn't anyone teach us this? I feel so cheated, deceived. I mean, really? This is going to sound crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but I really didn't know that slavery happened on purpose. Like, on purpose. I don't know. I just kind of thought that it just happened. Inhale. Her sobbing then filled the room as she grappled for the first time with our country's real history. Slavery was no accident. 
We didn't trip and fall in, into black subjugation. Racism wasn't a bad joke that just never went away. It was all on purpose. Every bit of it was on purpose. Racial injustices like slavery and our system of mass incarceration were purposeful inventions, but instead of seeking to understand how we got here, the national narrative remains filled with, com with comforting myths, patchwork timelines, and colonial ideals. Like the sobbing woman in the workshop, many Americans try to live comfortably in ignorance of America's racial history. We have not thoroughly assessed the bodies snatched from dirt and sand to be chained in a cell. We have not reckoned with the horrendous, violent mass kidnapping that we call the Middle Passage. We have not been honest about all of America's complicity, about the wealth the South earned on the backs of the enslaved, or the wealth the North gained through the production of enslaved hands. We have not fully understood the status symbol that owning bodies offered. We have not confronted the humanity the emotions, the heartbeats of the multiple generations who were born into slavery and died in it, who never tasted freedom on America's land. Austin Channing Brown goes on to say, We have painted the hundred-year history of Jim Crow as little more than mean signage and the inconvenience that white people and black people could not drink from the same fountain, but those signs weren't just mean. They were perpetual reminders of the swift humiliation and brutal violence that could be suffered at any moment in the presence of whiteness. Jim Crow meant paying taxes for services one could not fully enjoy, working for meager wages, and owning nothing that couldn't be snatched away. For many black families, it meant never building wealth and never having legal recourse for injustice. The mob violence, the burned down homes, the bomb churches and businesses, the black bodies that were lynched every couple of days. Jim Crow was walking through life measuring every step. Even our celebrations of the civil rights movement are sanitized. It's its victories accentuate it while the battles are whitewashed. We have not come to grips with the spitting and shouting, the pulling and tugging, the clubs, dogs, bombs, and guns, the passion and vitriol with which the rights of black Americans were fought against. We have not acknowledged the bloodshed that often preceded victory. We would rather focus on the beautiful words of Martin Luther King Jr. than on the terror he and protesters endured at marches, boycotts, and from behind jail doors. We don't want to acknowledge that for decades, whiteness fought against every civil right black Americans sought, from sitting at lunch counters and in integrated classrooms, to the right to vote and have a say in our country and how our country was run. And I'll read one more part that she says. She says, the moment black Americans achieved freedom from enslavement, America could have put to death the idea of black inferiority, but whiteness was not prepared to sober up from the drunkenness of power over another people group. Whiteness was not ready to give up the ability to control, humiliate, or do violence to any black body in, in the vicinity, all without consequence. Ultimately, the reason we have not yet told the truth about this history of black and white America is that telling an ordered history of this nation would mean finally naming America's commitment to violent, abusive, exploitative, immoral white supremacy, which seeks the absolute control of black bodies. It would mean doing something about it. How long will it be before we finally choose to connect all the dots? How long before we confess the history of racism embedded in our systems of housing, education, health, criminal justice, and more. How long before we dig to the root? Again, that's directly from Austin Channing's book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. The chapter is titled The Story We Tell. And it is, I read that chapter twice. 
because when the first time I read it, I was so emotional because I was like, yes, like I was literally like, mm-hmm, yes, like the whole book, I'm like that anyway, but definitely chapter eight and then chapter nine is titled Creative Anger and it's, um, yeah, I'm not going to read all of that, but I highly advise you all listening to get that book and read it because yes, as a black woman, I directly relate it to everything that Austin Channing Brown said. But the book is not just for black people. White people need to read it as well. Other people of color need to read it as well. And the reason is because white people need to read the voices of black women. They need to read the experience that we share, or the experiences that we share. And... I was thinking about this so much yesterday because of what happened this past weekend on Instagram with Maya Angelou's words being stolen, being stolen and used out of context and um, how that all relates to defending black womanhood and how and why it's so necessary and also understanding the context of Maya Angelou's poem in the beginning. Why she even wrote it. Who it was actually for. What it actually said about America at the time. Because if you've read And Still I Rise, if you have never read that, you need to go read it. But if you have if you have the chance also, not, no, not if you have the chance, make the chance. Make the time to go on YouTube or Google, wherever, and search for a reading of Maya Angelou in that poem, like just so you can hear her reading the poem. But anyway, y'all, yeah, this is where I am today. I, all of this was on my heart to share with y'all on this episode. I am, um, I am usually, (laughs) I usually do have my podcast episodes, um, you know, laid out and organized, but Often, what I also think is important and necessary is to just be really vulnerable and showing up how we just show up. And part of just showing up how we show or how I show up as a black woman, things like this, um, this is, this is me. This is, this is all of who I am as well in in addition to being a historian and um, an educator and a speaker, and things still affect me. And I hope that you all listening to this also are learning that too, that this work that I do is a lot. It's exhausting, <laughs> uh, but it's also my calling and it's also my purpose. And I say all that to say that I'm actually going to be starting a Patreon this week. I'm going to have another podcast episode available Friday this week where I'm going to talk more about my Patreon, the different tiers, why it's so important to pay black women for the work that we're doing. And yeah, just a lot more. So I'm really, really excited about it. And I'm finally starting one. I've had so many people say, Letty, you don't have a Patreon yet? I'm like, oh my gosh, like you need to get one. Uh, so I'm really excited about it. Please keep an um, ear out for that. If you're not following me on social media, please do that. Sincerely.letty. And there's going to be a lot more coming up. This 
um, podcast episode that I'm going to have available Friday. It was going to be the last one that I do for a couple weeks, maybe two or three weeks, so I can just have some time to rest a little bit, even though I'll be resting from the podcast, but I'll still be planning and doing some other things because something else about rest is it's very important. It's crucial. It's critical to the work that I do and the work that other black women do. And if you are not following other black women, other anti-racism educators on social media, you need to be doing that. I, on my Instagram, am always reposting the work of black women, um, just to name a few. I mean, you have Tina Strawn of the Speaking of Racism podcast. You have Maisha Hill of Check Your Privilege. Um, there are Those are the two off the top of my head because I was reposting some of their things earlier today. But I... I'm so thankful for all the black women that I continue to also learn from because community is so important and having this community, even though we're all spread out, you know, spread out across the country is amazing. And I have had, you know, black women reach out to me and um, give me opportunities. Like I just did an interview earlier this week with um, a black woman and I, um, I took over the, the check your privilege Instagram page two weeks ago and I've continued last night I had a black woman message me um to give me some financial support it was just so it's just awesome to see that people value the work and value the time and the labor because y'all it's not just about the work it's about the, the labor the emotional labor the mental labor uh because this isn't all that I do you know I have like this is just part of this is me but this is also you know part of my this isn't the only thing I do every day. And so, but I, but it is what I'm very intentional about. Um, so yeah, anyway, I hope that this podcast episode, of course, as always, open your eyes, open your ears, made you realize what you didn't know that you needed to realize. And yes, keep an ear out for Friday's episode this week. And as always, until next time.